Well, welcome to a new year, and for many of us in this room, uh, commitments uh, of a new you. Uh, today, we're going to begin series uh, that is new to us called Heart and Soul, and over the next handful of weeks, uh, we are going to be uh, really diving in to what it looks like uh, to understand the way that God created us, and ultimately how we should steward the things he's entrusted to our care. And a couple of the things that he's entrusted to our care uh, are our bodies uh, and our mind, our will, our intellect. Uh, and so over the next handful of weeks, we are going to be diving in uh, to take a look at our bodies and uh, how we should care for those. I'll tell you, it's going to be a very challenging next four or five weeks, uh, not just for uh, you, but ultimately for me, uh, because God's going to be dealing with me on a handful of things. Uh, and I want to just make a pastor promise to you. One, it's going to be very challenging. Two, it'll be worth you being here for the next handful of weeks. Uh, I want to ask you, uh, matter of fact, to do something for me. I want you to resolve as you leave this place to look at your spouse or to your friend or to your neighbor or to anyone else that's here and say, we're going to commit to making every week of this series. Matter of fact, I want to go ahead and implore you to do one other thing. I'm asking, I'm actually begging you that you would make it the next 10 weeks if possible. And here's why. Because we're going to begin dealing with the individual, and then from there we're going to move into a new series, and we're going to begin dealing with how we fit into this body and what it really means for us uh, to be all that God's called us to be as the church. And so I get it. You're like, no, I, there's no way I can do that. Like I am out, of, I'm from out of town. Okay, you get an exception. Uh, but other people, you're like, no, I've got so many things. I got things on my calendar. I, I can't do that. And, and here's what I know. I know that our minds are nomadic. What that means is, is that they're already thinking on the calendar of the commitments I've made. I can't do this, I've got this, and I've got that, and you're already frantically worried about whether or not you can keep your commitment, and you're like, I'm not going to make the commitment at all. Here's the deal, all I ask is that you would be prayerfully considering it, because I believe that it is integral to where we're going as a church uh, in this new calendar year. Now, real quickly, when I say your mind is nomadic, when I was about the fourth grade, I remember coming across the word nomad. And I thought, man, that's really cool. Like these people live in tents and they don't ever have a place to call their house. I mean, they're, they're just frantically searching after things. And the answer is, yeah. And I think that's really our society. I think we struggle to make commitments in this day and age because we're constantly frantically wondering. We're always looking for the new thing, whether or not we can commit to it. And, and we, we really have some anxiety based around commitments and where, where our mind is going. And you go, well, where did that even it, it derive from? Well, I think it might have come from the movie Up. Y'all remember uh, the old man, you got this little dog in front of him, and then all of a sudden he sees a squirrel. And y'all remember what he does? Edgewood, help me out. He goes, squirrel! And then he comes back. And I think that's us. Like, we're just constantly, we see something, we're like, oh my gosh. And that grabs our attention for a little while, and then we'll remember in the moment, hey, I got to come back. Well, here's the deal. This is not a dilemma that's just in our society. It's a dilemma that actually has been going on all of our lives. It's a dilemma that our society struggles with, that we personally struggle with. If you have ever been created by God, you struggle with it. Animals struggle with it. We struggle with it. Here's the deal. 
let's go back to the creation story and let's see why our hearts oftentimes wonder. They, they go to places we're not really understanding sometimes as they go. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, what you see is the beginning of the creation story. Uh, God had created everything that we see and know in, in ultimately really five days. On the sixth day, he's going to create mankind, and on the seventh day, he's going to rest from that work. But on the sixth day, in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, you're going to see what he does with humanity. It says, the Lord God formed the man of the dust from the ground. So he's going to take dirt, and he's going to breathe into it the nostrils, the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. And in that very moment, we were created. Humanity was formed. And then you know that uh, he takes a, a rib out of this man, Adam, bone my bone, flesh my flesh, and you should call this woman. And you, there's this now woman. So you've got Adam and you've got Eve and you've got this narrative taking place. And then in Genesis chapter 3, something's going to happen and it's going to cause sin. The challenge, though, is this, is that the sin disrupted what was happening in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. See, when God took and formed man out of dust of the ground, he breathed life into him, and it says the man became a living creature. Now, I don't know about you, but when I've read that, I oftentimes think about what it must have meant in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, when God says, let us make man in our image. And so you've got God, the plurality of the Trinity in one single God. You've got Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And you've got this conversation, apparently. And he goes, let us make man in our image. And so you go, okay, what's that mean? Then you get to Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. He breathes life into us. And we go, that must mean that when we got life, we got a body. And we finally, we, we became something. And we oftentimes struggle with the identity of God because we think that when we became a living creature, that God gave us a body. And we think, well, I can't see God. Does God have a body? I think I'm like him. If God made us in the image of God, then what's God look like? And here's what you need to know. When it says that he made man a living creature, the word there is the, is the Hebrew word nephos, which literally means, and God made man in the inter, inner being. He made man a soul. Really, the best word there is that God made man a soul, a living creature. Now, the reason why I say that is because it should oftentimes be in our mind that God did not make bodies with souls, but instead he made a soul with a body. So I'm going to put that up on the screen for you real quickly. We are not bodies with a soul, but we are souls with a body. So God creates mankind. He gives them an inner being. In that inner being, in that soul, is where the seat is of emotion, of will, of character, of intellect. It's where all the things that we desire come from. It's where the appetite of Adam and Eve came from to be like God. It's where all of that came from, the activity of will, the center of our being. Think about that. Everything that happens within you, within that body of yours, is because of the appetite, the will, the intellect, the character of the inner being of man. It's the soul. And what happened was is that our soul ultimately became broken 
at the curse of sin in Genesis 3. What that meant was is that Adam and Eve and their will and their intellect, they began to chase after something that they thought might could provide more richness than a relationship with God. And then their eyes were opened. And what happened was is that their soul was chasing after meaningless things that wouldn't fulfill. And ultimately, guess what happens? The body also gets a response of the consequence. And so the soul, the appetite there, is in a sense chasing after. Sin enters the world, and guess what? Our souls now are chasing after the wind. Our souls are chasing after something to quench our thirst. Our souls are finding meaning somewhere, and we're looking for anything. Our appetites, our desires, our will, our intellect, our emotion, all searching after something. And really what's happened is we've become nomads, looking for a new place to land, somewhere to call our home, somewhere to find fulfillment and purpose, in the very deep-seated place in our life, which is called the soul. Now, after the curse of sin, you might remember that Adam and Eve had two boys, Cain and, let's say it one more time, Cain and Abel. Abel Abel offers a sacrifice to God in the field, which he's pleased with. Cain gets upset, eventually murders his brother, And then God comes to him in Genesis chapter 4 and verse 10. He says, Cain, where is your brother? In which Cain responds, who am I? My brother's keeper? And then God says, well, listen, the blood of your brother is calling out from the ground. And God knows what happens. And then you see the curse that happens as a result of what happened in Cain's life. In Genesis chapter 4, verse 11, it says, And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. And when you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. He goes, as a result of your sin, you're no longer going to be fruitful. You're going to chase after the wind. He goes, you are going to be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Really, the Hebrew word there, fugitive, is the idea of restlessness. It's the idea of nomadic living. He goes, you're going to never find a place to sink deep roots into. You're going to continually chase after things. You're going to not have a home, a family. You're not going to have roots. You're going to continually move from place to place to place to place to place. Now you think about that and you go, wow, that sounds a lot like me and my soul. It seems like I have a difficult time settling in on something. I have a hard time. It seems like I'm always chasing after that next thing. I feel like I'm always comparing myself to someone else. Why can't I find rest? Why is it that I seem to be wandering from place to place, trying to find fulfillment, but I can't find it? I almost feel like I come up empty. I'm restless. See, if you're restless in here, then the thing is, is what is causing your restlessness? What's made you a wanderer? The fact that creation is broken. See, Cain wouldn't just be a wanderer chasing after meaningless things. We all chase after meaningless things. Matter of fact, I think you could say this, 
The wandering soul is always seeking but never finding. It's intrigued by everything, but it's fulfilled by nothing. Look at that real quickly. I'm going to provide it for you on the Edgewood campus as well. The wandering soul is always seeking. It's intrigued by everything. And what you'll find is, is that you'll never find it, and you're never fulfilled. See, the wandering soul, the nomadic way that we live, is we're always looking for that one more thing. Matter of fact, for so many of us this year, we, we think that we might need to, to resolve something. We might need to make a resolution, but we're not quite sure what that resolution should be. We're not sure, should I just drop a few pounds? Should I get a new job? For some of us in here, it's like, this, the goal of this year is I'm finally going to just get married. I don't even know who the man is. I just want a man. And we think if there's this quest to find something to quench our thirst, to satisfy our hunger, it's this desire, in a sense, and our restlessness to settle down and to find roots. Solomon. A wise man. He even said that life is about wondering. Matter of fact, in Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 14, he would say this. He says, I have seen everything that is done under the sun, and behold, it's all vanity, and it's all striving after the wind. I mean, you can't see the wind, but you can feel the wind. And I don't know about you, but if you chase after the wind, by the time you finally catch up with it, it changes directions. And it's always moving to and from. And Solomon goes, listen, it's as if you try to wrap your, head, uh, your hands around something and you come up with nothing. See, that's what the wanderer does. You're searching after everything. You find nothing. You're intrigued by things, but they don't satisfy. Solomon would go on to say in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 22 and 23, he says, what has man from the toil and striving of heart, which, which he toils beneath the sun, for all his days are full of sorrow, and his work is a vexation. Even in the night his heart does not rest. This also is vanity. You ever lay awake at night and you just can't settle your mind? You've got the RPMs going, and it's as if they're off the charts, and you, just, you, you, you lay awake and you go, you know what, I just can't sleep. And it's because you can't turn off the mind. And the question is, is why can't you turn off the mind? Because I think what happens is, is you go, well, I'm just a deep thinker. I'm, I'm just a hard worker. And I would argue that your mind is struggling to find rest. I would argue that in some cases, the reason that you lay up late at night is because you're worried about how the bill's going to get paid, where the invoice is going, what that employee's going to do, what this relationship is going to bring, how I'm going to fix my marriage, when we're going to sign up for starting point, should we really try out this new group they're talking about? And we lay and wait. And ultimately what I would say is, is that at the end of the day, it's a trust issue. That our wandering soul is trying to pinpoint the solution and we can't find rest. And when we wonder and we can't lay our roots somewhere. We can't find a place to trust. And here's what happens. We bring about fear, anxiety, emotions in which we can't control. It brings about depression. Oftentimes, it brings about isolation, broken relationships, lack of trust. The list is endless. Why? Because we're always searching and never finding, inquiring, intrigued, but never finding the solution.
And so the question is, is, is there hope? All the things that are chasing right now, even in our mind, we go, how do I, how do I settle that down? How, he's on to me. Like, has he been at my house? Has he been in these conversations with me? Did I tell him that I stay up late at night? How do you find rest? And I would tell you that the only way you settle the wandering soul, the nomadic lifestyle that comes as a result of our sin problem is through Christ and Christ alone. Our rest is found in Christ and Christ alone. Your restlessness, your fear, your anxiety, your worry, your stress, your calendar, your fear, your failures, all of it comes to rest in Christ and Christ alone. I want you to say that with me, church. Our wondering soul finds rest in Christ alone. See, here's the deal. We say that, and you go, yeah, I, I think I agree with that. I think, our, I think my soul would find rest in Christ and Christ alone. But do you even know what that means? The writer of Hebrews does a really good job of helping us understand what that means. The writer of Hebrews is, is going to tell us about who Christ is and what it looks like to find rest uh, in him and in this one named Christ. Uh, in Hebrews chapter 4, what you have is you have this, this narrative about who Jesus is, that, that he is, in a sense, our Sabbath rest. And it's going to begin giving you this picture of what it looks like to just enjoy Christ and Christ alone. And one of the struggles was that the Hebrew people struggled to find rest in Christ because of their attachment to the Sabbath. And so they thought, well, if I, if I do a bunch of different things, then ultimately I can find Christ or uh, the Messiah, or I can be right with God. Uh, but the problem is that they miss the Messiah because of the Sabbath. And then what he does is he makes a, a correlation. He goes, listen, the people of Israel are nomads. I mean, think about it for just a second. You got guys like Abraham and Moses and David, all shepherds. You know what shepherds do? Shepherds go to greener pastures and better waters, always searching frantically for that next green pasture for their sheep, that next, that next steel water that could provide a quench for that thirst of their flock. See, here's the thing. Israel was always searching after a place to call home. In their nomadic living, God says, listen, I'm going to give you a place of fulfillment, a place of promise, a place where you can find rest. You don't have to search frantically anymore. Your soul can finally come and be settled. And it's going to be in Canaan. It's going to be in Palestine. It's going to be in Israel. It's going to be the promised land. It's going to be a place flowing with milk and honey. You just need to go there and you'll find rest. The challenge was is that Israel wasn't able to settle there long. And so they were always nomadically living, looking for that next thing, thinking if they could find fulfillment, then that would finally be enough. And the writer of Hebrews, he does something profound. He goes, listen, there was a guy named Joshua, and Joshua was to provide the people of Israel rest. He was going to get them to the promised land. And finally, everything would be okay, right? Look at the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 8 and 11, it says, for if Joshua had given them rest... God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then, 
There remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Joshua, his name means Yeshua, God's salvation. And the thing is, is this, is that God uses Joshua to bring them into the promised land, this land flowing with milk and honey, a land that Moses fell short to get them into. And they finally get there, and here's what happens. It was not enough for them. Their hearts still wandered. It wandered into idolatry. It wandered into comparison. It wandered into um, a lack of trust, to fear, to failure. And they could never find a settled heart, even though God had used Yeshua, Joshua, to get them there, God's salvation. And so he goes, listen, if Yeshua, Joshua, would have done it all right, there wouldn't have been a need for another Yeshua named Jesus to come. But there was another need. And what it says is, is that that need is fulfilled in Jesus who provides a Sabbath rest for the people of God. And that whoever enters into that rest can now, listen to this, rest from his works as God did from his. God rested on the seventh day. And what he's saying is, is that if you want your wandering heart to find rest, it's found in Christ and Christ alone. And when you finally find Christ, that means that your soul can now be quenched with a great, with, with great desire. Verse 11 says, Therefore, let us strive to enter into that rest so that no one may, be fall, may fall by the same sort of disobedience. Here's what I'm trying to help you understand. Is that when you find Christ, you can be totally satisfied and that you no longer have to wonder aimlessly after a pursuit of things in this life that will not feel the very void that's happening in your soul. And you go, okay, uh, that makes a little bit of sense. Okay, so you're just telling me to just to come to Christ alone. Yeah, that's why I'm here. I mean, I'm here. But what I want you to understand is this, is that when you find Christ alone, you now have found rest a Sabbath rest that's not found because of a Sabbath work in your life. See, you go, I, I really do want to find a, a conquest of a rest for my soul. H- how do I do that? And I would say it's threefold, and I want you to pay very close attention. One is you rejoice in your salvation. You rejoice in your salvation. See, rejoicing in your salvation means that you know that God has saved you from you. He saved you from your works, from your desire to do more. And that's really the problem with the human will and intellect. We think that we must do more. One of the reasons that we got up this morning is because we go, you know what, guys, we got to go to church. It's a new year. We're going to church this year. And I'm glad that you did that. But what I want you to realize is that there is no rest in church. There is no rest in being in this building in that seat. There is only rest in God's Sabbath hope provided in Jesus. It's what David says in Psalm 62 verse 1 when he says, For God alone my soul waits in silence. From him comes my salvation. It's when we finally see that our soul comes to rest in God alone. Just as the ark, after all the sin of the world has brought chaos into into the lives of mankind, it finally comes to rest on the mountains of Ararat. 
we are to come to rest on the complete work of God found in Jesus Christ. What that means is, is that Jesus' death, his burial, and his resurrection are enough if we put hope in him. The problem with the American culture and our nomadic living and our way of thinking is, is that Jesus is great, and I'm glad that the cross is a provision for my salvation. And don't get me wrong, I pray to prayer, and I think I'm going to heaven, but, but what? But we need to get up and go to church. Son, you're not wearing that. No, you're not putting flip-flops on going to church. No, we don't wear that. God desires your best. Put on your best, your Sunday best. You ever heard that? Can I just explain to you that it's not a biblical way of thinking? And the reason it's not a biblical way of thinking is because at the end of the day, God's salvation is never provided in a building. It's never provided in a worship service. It's never provided because you put on your Sunday best. God is not concerned right now with what? The outward appearance, but the inward appearance. Where does it begin? It begins with the wondering soul the wandering soul would finally come to rest in Christ and Christ alone. I grew up in a church, uh, a church that taught me that I should go to church, that I should look my best, and then on the afternoons, I should go home and take a nap because that's the Sabbath. And so for years, I, I wrestled with, okay, like so, so if dad asked me to go mow the yard, I could say, hey, dad, I can't mow the yard today. It's Sunday, Sabbath. We need to take a rest. And there's a lot of us in this room that that's your way of thinking. Your thought is, is that this is Sunday, this is my day of rest. And listen, if you want to use Sunday as a day of rest, a day of introspection, great. But what you need to understand is that my Sabbath rest has nothing to do with what I've done today or what I'll do this afternoon. My Sabbath rest is done that Christ has fulfilled all that I need, and it's done. It's paid for, it's finished. And so I'll tell you, the way that I rest in Christ is to allow my mind to work things out. And so I promise you today, what's going to happen is I'm going to go home and I will not settle down. I will not just sit. And the reason why is because I don't like to sit. I want to go and I enjoy that is, as I do something outside, my mind is enjoying the very things that God's created my hands to do. And I rest in Christ and Christ alone, his salvation, his hope. I rejoice in the fact that he's given me a body that houses the soul that desires to be in unity with him. But it's not about a people or a place. It's not about a pursuit of clothing. It's not about resting from work today. It's about resting in God and his grace and grace alone. Do you know why the people of God struggled with Jesus healing someone on the Sabbath? It's because it was dependent upon their works. And they thought, you know what? If we work to God six days of the week and we rest on the last one, the Sabbath one, then we're going to be good with God. And they miss it. And Jesus isn't concerned about healing with someone on the Sabbath. Why? Because at the end of the day, he wants to be someone's Sabbath rest. And a Sabbath rest is not based off of what you do or don't do today, where you go or where you don't go, what you wear or don't wear, but is based off of rejoicing in God's great salvation. That great salvation, though, I want you to understand, is about 
understanding who it is that he's wanting to get and what he's trying to get to. Uh, I'll tell you <clears throat> that Psalm 62.1 talks about finding rest in God alone, that he's the hope of our salvation. Paul was going to write it to the church of Corinth in this way, and he's going to say, hey, don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? Y'all remember that one? And, and then what he's going to say from there, he goes, oh, within whom you have from God, he goes, you're not your own. You've been bought with a price. So what he's saying is, he goes, hey, listen, your, your soul, it's been redeemed. It's been bought with a price. You are no longer your own. And then I love what he tags on at the very end, so glorify God with your body. So what he's saying is this. He goes, when you rejoice in your salvation, your restlessness, your wandering heart has now found fulfillment, and it can now begin to rest in Christ alone. It means there's no more work for you to do. It means you don't, you don't have to put on your Sunday best. It means you don't have to get your life together. It means you don't have to start going to church. You go, well, I'm confused. You just encouraged us earlier to come for the next five weeks, actually 10 weeks. Listen, I'm not encouraging you to come to fulfill some legalistic requirement. I'm encouraging you to come because I believe that what I have to share over the next 10 weeks is important to your life and the life of our church. And I believe that if we're all here, it'll be rich and glorious. And I think it'll promote Christ in our life. But at the end of the day, you don't need to come to fulfill any requirement to God or to me. You need to come because you believe that's what God wants you to do as a re result of committing to his church here. The second thing is not just rejoicing in salvation, but it's responding in a life of obedience. See, what Paul is trying to help the Corinthians see is he goes, hey, you're the temple of the Holy Spirit. You've been bought with a price. You're no longer your own. So if you know that your soul has been bought with a price and you're no longer your own, he says, now, now glorify God in your body. What he's saying is you should respond in obedience. Respond in obedience. And the question is, is why? And here's why. Lean in with me. God redeemed our souls that we're wondering. That's his desire. Then he's going to fill us with his spirit to enable us to what? Live for him. He makes us alive in him. He begins to shape our mind, our will, our intellect, our emotions, all after a pursuit of him to bring him glory. So oftentimes we get confused and we think, oh, I guess my soul is my spirit. No, our soul is what's created to have a longing for God, and then he fills us with his spirit. And so we have a spirit that is, is bringing the soul into conformity with the purposes of God as he brings us towards him and his glory. I think that's what Paul means when we respond in obedience. And you think about the idea of Romans chapter 12 when he goes, hey, I want you to be transformed. What does he mean? He goes, I want you to transform. I want your life to be transformed from the very part of your soul, ultimately to your body. Everything you do should be transformed. No longer should you be conforming to the patterns of the world. No longer should the world entice you. No longer should you wonder after things of the world. Why? Because you found rest in me. And when you find rest in me, respond in obedience to me. I think Peter means it this way in, in chapter 1, verse 14. He says, we are to become partakers of the divine nature of God. What does that look like? Have you ever asked yourself the question, hey, God, what does it look like for me to become a partaker of the divine nature? What does the divine nature of God look like? 
God, how, how do I get my soul and my body and everything I have in complete will and subjection to the divine nature of God? I'll tell you, that's a great question for you to write down and begin studying this week. God, how do I bring my life, my soul, my desires, my will, my intellect, my emotion into conformity with the divine nature of God? God, how do I respond to you in obedience? How do I begin to move out of comparing how do I get, move out of fear of failure? How do I move out of addiction? How do I move out of all these things that I think complete my wandering heart to where I can just rest in you, rest in the complete work of Jesus and his salvation, and then begin to move forward in a response of obedience? So that's what the writer of Hebrews is saying. He goes, when you find rest in Christ and Christ alone, it moves you towards obedience. And then here's the last thing, is as you begin to move towards obedience and a response to him, you should then not just rejoice in the salvation of your soul, not just uh, respond in obedience, but ultimately you should rest and reflect about God's faithfulness. Rest and reflect about God's faithfulness. What, what does that even mean? Well, Jeremiah, he's going to write uh, in Lamentations chapter 3 uh, about a restless heart. And what he's basically, he, he's honestly, he's lamenting. Uh, lamenting means crying, mourning, whining, however you want to describe it. And he is frustrated because the people of God, Israel, in this nomadic lifestyle, have hard, had a hard time finding uh, a God who, who ultimately uh, is, is satisfying all the people of Israel. Not because God's not perfect and pure, but because the people of Israel have been wondering. And because of their wondering hearts, they have faced consequences. They've been booted out of the promised land designed to give them rest. They have been chasing after meaningless things. They have been caught up in idolatry and comparing. They have been a part of lust and fornications with other countries. They have not been what God wanted them to be, and Jeremiah knows it. And Jeremiah says this, in response, in Lamentations chapter 3, he says, God, remember my affliction and my wonderings. Y'all catch that right there? He goes, God, would you remember my affliction and my wonderings, the wormwood and the gall? What that means is, he goes, God, would you remember me, remember us, remember me in our wonderings? God, our minds, our hearts, our souls have been chasing after meaningless things. He goes, and we've become bitter. It's like wormwood and gall. What that means is bitterness. Listen, do you know what brings bitterness from a wandering heart? Oftentimes, your afflictions. Your afflictions are oftentimes a result of those things. Oftentimes, we're like, God, I don't understand how I got here. Listen, you got there because of your wandering heart. The reason that you're bitter oftentimes is the result of the decisions that we've made. I don't know about you, but I've been there. I've been in a place where I've looked up and I've gone, God, how in the world did I get here? I feel so alone. I feel like this is empty. I feel what I'm pursuing is not about you. God, I feel afflicted. I feel cursed in some ways. And the answer is you are when you don't rest in God and his salvation, when you don't respond in obedience, and when you don't rest and reflect about who God is. 
And so Jeremiah is here and he goes, God, it's like bitterness. And then in verse 20, he says, my soul continually remembers it. And it's bowed down within me. He goes, my soul can't get past the bitterness that's coming from this affliction of my wanderings. And look at verse 21, but I call this to mind. He goes, but in all my bitterness and all my wondering, I call this to mind and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. When you rest in Christ, when you delight in him, your soul is satisfied. In all the wonderings and all the comparing and all the things that you've tried to do, you can finally rest in Christ. And y'all know what's gonna happen within 24 hours of now? Within 24 hours from now, it's going to go dark and then eventually the darkness will cease and a new light will dawn. And when a new light dawns, it's a reminder of God's mercies. It's a reminder that in a new day, there's new provision, there's new hope, there's forgiveness of sin, there is a hope of within, it means the darkness has waned and new light has come. And with a new day, there's forgiveness, there's restoration, there's strength for new temptations, and there is a reminder of God's faithfulness. With every trial that comes, God can remind you that a new day has dawned. And when a new day has dawned, it reminds you of the faithfulness and the beauty of God. You may be here and you go, you know what? I just feel like I'm too far gone. I feel like there's no hope for me. Can I tell you, there is hope. But the only way you'll find satisfaction is if you quit chasing after a new job, a new woman, a new man, more relationships, a new substance, a little bit more to numb you. No, when you finally settle and say, you know what? I know there's nothing on this earth that will provide satisfaction and you come to Christ and you rest in his complete work of salvation, you will finally begin to allow yourself to settle. But until then, it's like Solomon says, you're chasing after vanity. You're chasing after the wind. You'll never find it. He goes, so settle in. Your nomadic lifestyle can finally come to rest on the promises and the purpose of God in Jesus. Rejoice in that. Respond to him in obedience, the way that you live. Become a divine partaker of of the excellencies of God. Rest, reflect. You go, how how am I going to rest and reflect? I mean, I've got too much to do. Can I just tell you that's where I am? I oftentimes have too much to do. My mind has a hard time settling down. And you know what I say? I go, you know what? I just, I'm not lazy. It's not a laziness issue. It's a trust issue. At the end of the day, the reason my mind doesn't settle down is not a compliment. Did you hear what I just said? When I say my mind won't settle down, that's not a compliment. And the Lord is bringing me to that place where I go, that's not a compliment. The fact that I'm a visionary and that I see where our church can go and I I can't shut it off, that's not a blessing. It's not a compliment. And when somebody goes, well, hey, how are you? I'm busy. All that is, is you verbalizing a wandering soul. And so I want to I leave you with a couple of questions. And these are questions I'm dealing with. 
and I pray that you will too. Number one is what is it that you're chasing after? What is, what is your wandering soul trying to find that would bring an end to the appetite? What is it? I, I don't know what it is. I wouldn't even begin to speculate. For, for a lot of us in here, it, it's, just, it's, a, it's, it's a job, it's a promotion, it's money, it's fortune, it's fame, it's relationships. I don't know. I don't, I don't have a clue what yours would be. But what is it? God, what is it that's making me restless? Number two. God, when you reveal what it is that's making me restless, will you give me the strength to trust you to satisfy what the thing I'm searching for won't? God, can I trust you to satisfy in place of the thing I'm searching for that won't? And then third question is, it kind of takes us back that you were bought with a price, you're not your own. The soul is housed by a body. And when God redeemed the soul, he says it's important to care for the thing that houses that soul. And that's where we're going with the series. But you can't find hope for what's housing this thing until you understand why this thing needs rest. And that, that means the soul, because you believe the body needs rest, but the soul needs rest. And here's what I know. I know that most pastors, most churches are concerned with the chin up. I recently read this. I think it was fantastic. The chin up means that as you think about the new year, we love to think about how much knowledge we'll acquire, what books of the Bible we'll read, other things that we're going to do. And we typically think spiritually, we can over-spiritualize the chin up. That means that most of us are not concerned with the chin down. And we think as long as God takes care of my mind and it guards my heart, then everything else is fine. And that's why we have so many overweight pastors in America that are telling you how to live your life and find rest for your soul. And they're housed by bodies that don't complement the very thing God's redeemed. So can you all see how this could get challenging? I pray that you'll be here. And I pray that it'll be a blessing to you. I love you. It's a joy to pastor this place. Um, I pray that this will be a great year, a great year in which we see people come to faith in Jesus as a result of finding rest in his complete work. I pray that more people get into community with other people, that we become raw and real, and we begin to trust the people that God's put around us to work out some of the things that we're, we're wondering after. And I pray that you would be blessed as we leave this place. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, God, I know that we are into a nomadic way of living, that so many of us in this room are chasing after things. And while I might not have named any of the things we're chasing after today, our mind knows. And when we begin to really sit and ponder some of the things that we're chasing after, when we begin to really prayerfully consider those things. Uh, we know that it's vanity, and we know that those things will not satisfy. But God, I pray that you would reveal them to us nonetheless. And I pray that as you reveal the things that won't satisfy us in our lives, I pray you'd give us the strength to trust you to satisfy us. I pray that we would rejoice in such a great salvation. 
I pray that we would work out that salvation with fear and trembling, that we would come to you, um, that we would find rest for our weariness. I pray that we would respond to you in obedience, that we would trust you for the things um, that we struggle to trust you in. And I pray, Lord, from there that we would continually reflect on you and your goodness. We love you. We thank you uh, for your son, Jesus. And I pray, God, for the person in this room right now that they're restless because they don't know you. I pray today they would come to know you. I pray you'd put a friend in their life or that we'd have a conversation in just a few moments about how great a salvation you are and what you offer to us. We love you and we thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Y'all stand and sing again.